Um, I'm going to talk to you about continuing in the word. Now, Jesus gives a commandment. He says, well, it doesn't actually command, but he asks. He says, if you continue my word, then are you my disciples indeed. I want to show you the context of that statement. It is absolutely breathtaking. Sometimes we forget that there's a reason why he says what he says. And in John chapter 8, look at verse 10 and 11. Verse 10 says this, when Jesus had lifted up himself, he's been on the ground, he's been writing. When he lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, what you've just seen is, is the end of one of the most beautiful exchanges uh, in, in all of the Bible uh, between Jesus and anybody. It is absolutely breathtaking because Jesus has just freed an adulteress from condemnation. She has just come out from being under the death penalty. This was not a, not a moral event, folks. This was a staged trap. Look in verse 6. This is what they said, tempting him that they might have something to accuse him. So that's why Jesus didn't respond. He stooped on the ground with his finger and he wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So they're trying to trap his words and his response to this event. Uh, there's nothing genuine. There's nothing moral about their their question about if you go back up there in verse three, the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him this woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? So she's trying, they're, they're trying to use her to trap Jesus. Well, they trapped her, but they've tried to trap Jesus. Now, uh, the fact still remains, this woman was undeniably guilty. This was not a made-up thing. She was guilty. Um, she was caught in the act with a married man. She's, she's guilty of a capital offense under the Old Testament law. Truth is, adultery, and what, what you may not realize, adultery was very common in that day. You think with all of the Pharisees and all of the religious element that, wow, uh, there'd be no sin back then. But no, Jesus is exposing and he's going to expose the, the, the reality that adultery was rampant. Uh, didn't mean that there was divorce everywhere, but that there was secret adultery, secret relationships going on even among the Pharisees. And the truth is no one cared about right and wrong. This was not, we want to deal with this sin. No, it was, we want to destroy you, Jesus. So what is amazing is that in, within five minutes, Jesus does the impossible. He comes along there in verse 7, when they had continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. And in that one sentence, he removes all of her accusers. And he exposes all of them as adulterers themselves and as unqualified to judge her for the sin that they themselves have done. Then he turns around and he refuses to condemn her himself. Uh, look down there in verse, uh, uh, verse 11. She said, no man is accusing me, Lord, and the Lord and Jesus and her, neither do I condemn thee. He refuses to condemn her himself. Instead, he pardons her and says she is free to go. She's got a new lease on life. And he encourages her. Look at what he says. 
and sin no more. He's not like, okay, you're free to go and just keep sinning if you want. That's what people wanted to say, but he never said that. He said, you're free to go. And by the way, you're free to not sin that way anymore as well. The truth is, he has made her absolutely free of that life of bondage. You know, when you step out and you interfere with people's marriages or you break your own marriage, I'm telling you, I have watched it. It messes you up. There's almost no way back because it nearly destroys everything. And yet Jesus is able to restore what has been so broken and what has been so defiling. He gives her a whole new life and freedom from that bondage. He has actually removed her from the penalty of her sin. She was someone so lost and so sinful, and yet here she is, what she's allowed to do, she's allowed to go free. She is, notice our word, she is free. This was, this is not a once-off event because if you remember, Barabbas is supposed to go on the middle cross between two other thieves. He's supposed to die on the day of the crucifixion, and instead, who takes his place? Jesus does. And that man goes free. There was no condemnation on him. He was supposed to die, and Jesus takes his place, and Barabbas walks away pardoned. This is not a once-off event, and it shouldn't be a once-off event still today. And it all occurred because of Jesus. It all occurred not because this woman was able to stop sinning. You know what? Everybody who has found themselves in the place of being a drunkard or anybody who's ever been in a place of being trapped in pornography, anybody who's ever been trapped in, in the bondage of, a, of anger, every one of them say, I wish I could stop. I keep trying to stop. I keep vowing to God I'll stop. And they can't. And she's not free because she's able to stop sinning. She's not free because of great faith in God. She's free and made free simply because she and Jesus crossed paths that day and Jesus extended mercy to her as he headed to the cross to take her place in punishment for her sin and for the whole world's sin. Go back to John chapter 3. We know John 3, 16, God so loved the world. But look at verse 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the reason why he came the first time was not to condemn the world. That's why he's not going to condemn this woman. He's come to save her. He's come to seek and to save things that are lost, people that are lost. First Peter 3.18 says that Christ hath suffered, once suffered for sins. He was the just dying for the unjust that he might bring us to God. I tell you what, uh, people want religion, people want psychology, people want politics, but what you need is Jesus Christ because he's the only one that can step in and fix things. Jesus then invites, what's amazing is, and what we're going to focus on, Jesus then invites everyone who would just watch him free this woman, pardon her, and set her free from all the condemnation. It wasn't that the people were still following her. They all dropped their stones. All of those accusers have walked away. There's nobody now who's going to accuse her and try to stone her. She is truly free. He says, anybody else want freedom? That's the rest of this chapter, folks. So let's go to chapter 8 and uh, verse, look down in verse 31. I want you to see in that very same chapter in verse 31, we have our memory verse. 8.31, it says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. They are the same Jews who've watched Jesus. These same Jews. He says, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make 
Put the emphasis on the word you there. And the truth shall make you free. Just like it made her free, it can make you free. So he gives an invitation to follow him. He says, if you follow me, not that you have to be perfect, not that you have to believe everything and dot all the I's and make sure you're, no, no, no. Follow me and keep following me. I like the word there in verse 31. What does he say? If you continue in my word, don't make this a Sunday event. This is a life event that you're getting into. And you'll become free indeed yourself, just like that woman. So let's go to the invitation there. He goes back there in chapter 8. He's just finished. Verse 11 saying, Neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. Verse 12, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me, you ought to circle those words, He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. That's where we have to start, folks. Because Jesus says, If you follow me, not watching him. Don't, don't watch me. Everybody watch Jesus. Jesus was the, the, the one big thing in town. People came and watched Jesus. I mean, whether, whether he's raising the dead or whether he's feeding 5,000 or whether he's talking to a publican up in a tree. He was somebody to watch, but that never changed anybody's life. Jesus said, follow me. And if you do, you won't walk in darkness anymore. You'll have the light of life. And there's not one of us who have ever come through darkness and been stronger, it wears you down. When, when, when there's no light, when, when the lights are off and when, when power's out and when it's cold and it's dark, it just, you just pull in on yourself. You're in the bondage of your own fears and that's how life is without Christ if you try to remember that. Doesn't, you don't, you don't follow, I mean, you don't watch Jesus. You don't just hear about him. You follow him. I like the word you pursue him. You want to be near him. You, you, you seek to be like him. And if you follow him, Jesus promises you won't be in darkness anymore. And he says, he goes on and he says, uh, where are we? He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus says, I am the light of life. Uh, I'm actually the only light and hope that this world has ever seen. Uh, and be believe me, the, the world is dark. Have you, we kind of have, we have a special place here. We have a special place where <sighs> we feel safe, where people, even though they're, they're normal, we're moral. We have some, some limits. We, 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 take, we, we, we take care to be careful about how we speak and what what we do and stuff. But boy, out there, the world is vile, folks. And it affects us, what's on, not just what's on the media and what's on television, but even in our own homes. It is a dark world. And so I don't understand why Christians don't make church a priority because this is a place of light. I would be running here if the doors are open. I do, by the way. <laughs> Jesus said, there's life as you follow me. What a statement. John the Baptist even said it said in him was life and that life was the light of men no longer in darkness now, yes you got to understand jesus had not come to, to judge the world yet instead jesus speaks of forgiving and saving this sinful world uh, i find that people want to take a pill to fix things in their life or they want to pray a prayer and get all their problems over but the, the answer is simple. You know what it is? 
follow me. It's a life you're being asked to live now. And I find that most people don't want to follow Jesus. They're going to follow their own life, and they want Jesus sort of just to be put in their back pocket, and they'll pull him out when he needs them. He goes on there in verse 13, and he says this, The Pharisees themselves said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself. Thy record is not true. What's he saying? You're promoting yourself. You're blowing your own horn. You're the light of life. Who do you think you are? Um, therefore, if, if you're bragging on yourself, your bragging is not true. Well, look in verse 14. Jesus answers back and says unto them, though I bear record of myself, yet my record is still what? It's true. You know, it's not bragging if it's true, okay? Um, if, if uh, you know, sometimes we, we don't like to hear somebody bragging, but if they did something amazing, it's not a lie just because they said, I kind of did this, I climbed Mount Everest, or I did this, or I ran the four minute mile in three minutes and 22 seconds. Jesus says, my record is true. For I know whence I came and whither I go. You guys, you can't tell whence I come or whither I go. You don't know what I'm doing. I know I'm confusing to you. He is actually introducing them again to the concept that he's the Messiah, which was just the kind of person that they wanted and they expected the Messiah to be was a judge, was a, was a warrior, was a, was a conqueror. And they, they looked at Jesus and said, how come you're not judging this woman? What are you doing freeing her? Jesus said, I know I'm confusing to you, okay? But I'm speaking my father's truth. Verse uh, 15, ye judge after the flesh, and I judge no man. He exposes their prejudice. You know, everybody's good at noticing our flaws and seeing something different about us. You ever, you ever paid attention to what people judge about us? You know, um, uh, if someone, uh, the Pharisees judged everyone based on, their, on physical things like their genealogy. Well, you're not a Jew. You're not of Abraham. They judged them based on their looks, on their associations. Oh, you hang with so-and-so. That's your friend. Well, I won't be your friend then. They, they judge based on visible outward sins. And they judge on the basis that, well, they're different than us. With the Pharisees, if someone sinned differently than them, they were to be judged, which is kind of funny. And we do it too. You know, uh, if I've got victory over sin, I see somebody else sinning, I, 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 I tend to I look down on them. Have you never met a smoker who's just giving up smoking? You know what they do? Boy, they just attack everyone who's smoking. <laughs> I mean, they finally stop smoking. And so the first thing, oh, you got to stop that. And they start coming down hard on everybody else who's smoking. It's our nature. Someone sins differently than you, you judge them. If they look different, if they talk different, if they come from different places, it's our nature to judge. And Jesus goes on, he says, you judge after the flesh, you judge what you see on the outside. What does 1 Samuel 17 say? The Lord looketh on the heart. So Jesus goes on, he says, yet I judge no man, as if to say, I judge no man that way. Verse 16, he goes on, he says, yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am the Father that sent me. Someone else is agreeing with my testimony, says Jesus. He said, I'm kind of trying to be in agreement with God. And when I do have to judge, make a decision, my judgment is true because the Father and I are in unison on this. 
Um, look at verse 17 and 18. It is written also in your law that the testimony of two men is true. All you need is two to, to testify. Verse 18, I am one that bear witness of myself and the father that sent me beareth witness of me. How was God, how was God bearing witness of Jesus being in, 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 in the same mindset of God, the miracles? The fact that he was doing what no man could do. Uh, the prophecies that prophesied of what the Messiah would do when he comes and by the lives that were freed and changed and transformed by Jesus. He, he's saying, you know, my father's speaking through all of these things. If you just pay attention. I, I wrote this down. I, I can imagine Jesus basically saying, look at what I have done with all the darkness that you want to get rid of. All the harlots, all the publicans, all the adulterers, all the blind, the deaf, the lame, and the crippled. I have saved them. You wanted me to judge them and to condemn them. I've saved them. What a greater testimony. So he's asking those Pharisees and all the people to stop looking at my plainness of looks. If you really met Jesus and saw him, you would not be impressed. He, he doesn't have four foot shoulders. He doesn't have a golden, glistening, beautiful countenance. He doesn't, he doesn't walk on water every day. If you met Jesus, he's a plain Joe soap. He had no former comeliness that we should even desire him. Jesus said, you're looking for a Messiah that has glitter and gold and wears a crown and has, has a, a sword in his hand. And I'm the same guy that will have that in the future. But right now, don't judge me on my looks. Don't judge me based on my lack of education. You know, the Pharisees hated the fact that this guy was so smart and so well knowledgeable law, and yet he never went to the university like they did. And so they're looking down on him and says, who taught him, him letters? Who taught him to read and to write? He goes on and he says, you don't know me. <clears throat> Verse 19, then said they unto him, where is thy father? Back in verse 18, he talks about the father, the father. And so they said, well, where is thy father? Jesus answered, ye neither know me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. This is absolutely breathtaking. Uh, verse verse uh, 20, these words speak Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. But go back to verse 19, where they're asking, where is your father? This father you keep speaking of, show him unto us. You're only, the, the only father we know of yours was Joseph, and he's dead. So how are you talking about your father? Jesus then exposes their empty religion and says, you don't know me, and you don't know my father. What a terrible thing. It would be a grief to me to know that there are people in church that don't know God. And as much as I've opened up the Bible and tried to teach them, I feel like, do they even know God? And the best way to know God is to follow Jesus because Jesus actually is God. He actually says, if you've known me, guess what? You're getting to know the Father. Go to John 14. John 14 and verse 6. <clears throat> Jesus saith unto Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me, if ye had known me, ye should have known the Father also. <laughs> and from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. What a statement to make. You've actually seen God the Father. What 
Verse 8, Philip immediately jumps up and says, Lord, wow, show us the Father, and it suffices us. It'll satisfy us. Verse 9, and Jesus said to him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? How can you say, show you the Father, when I've been doing nothing but showing you the Father? What a crazy statement Jesus makes. I mean, he's actually saying that God is his father. He's actually saying that he, he doesn't belong here. You don't know me, and you don't know my father. Now, this is, this is going to get him in trouble, because I need you to go to chapter, back to chapter 8 and look there in verse 58 and 59, because Jesus is going to get them very, very ruffled. Verse 58 this is how the chapter ends. Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was. Those next two words are deadly. No human can speak those words. He says, before Abraham ever came into existence, before Abraham ever was born, before Abraham ever lived, I am. Now that's just wow. That makes Jesus equal to who? To God. Who is the I am? Look there in verse 59. No wonder they took up stones to cast at him. They're going to stone him right then and there. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. And they got, he got out. Verse, back there in chapter 8, verse 21. Go back there. <clears throat> they don't know him, and they don't get it. So he says, I go my way. <clears throat> verse 21. Then said Jesus again to them, I go my way. And you shall seek me. Oh, yeah, you're going to look for me and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. He's going somewhere. He's actually going to go somewhere alone. In verse uh, uh, 24, he's going to say, <coughs> or somewhere on here, he's going to say, I've got to go on and I have to go alone. But he's heading one direction. Where do you think he's going? Well, he's going to the cross. Like what you, what, you, what you notice what he says here. Verse 21, I go my way, and at some point you're going to seek me. You will die in your sins, and whither I go, the place I go, ye cannot come. <clears throat> then said the Jews, will he kill himself? Because he saith, whither I go, ye cannot come. <laughs> we wouldn't want to follow him through suicide. Verse 23, and he said unto them, ye are from beneath. You're from here. I'm from above. You're of this world. I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. When he describes, he's saying, I'm going, I'm going to go to the cross. And he'll make this clear in just a few minutes. After that, I'm going to go. My way will take me to the tomb. But once I'm in the tomb, you'll seek for me. And I won't be there anymore because of the resurrection and going up to heaven. I'm going back home. So remember the context here. Uh, Jesus is headed to the cross, that's his death, into the tomb, that's his burial, and then three days later, he's going to rise from that. He's being very careful in how he's talking and explaining stuff so that he doesn't tell them what they have to do. He's actually implying so that when it comes to pass, they go, he was already warning us back from the start. Now, what a statement to say that somebody's going to die in their sins. You'll end up judged like this 
adulterous woman that you so quickly want to judge, you will be judged. No matter how many prayers you pray or how many good deeds you do and how righteous you think you are, you're not going where you think you're going. You will remain as guilty as this adulterous woman was and you will die still in your sins. In, in, in verse 21, he says something, I am, as we read, I'm not of this world. Uh, I'm speaking, uh, Jesus says, I'm going to an entirely different world. You're from the dust. I came from God. And if you choose not to believe on me, look at there in verse 24. He introduces this one and only requirement. Verse 24, I said, therefore, unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Now, that's got to blow them away. If you don't believe I'm in the Messiah, then you will die in your sins. That's when those men standing there, listen to Jesus, stop and they say, who are you? Verse 25. Then said they unto him, who art thou? Who could, who could you be? And Jesus said unto them, even the same that said unto you from the beginning. I'm, I, I, I told you from the beginning. By the way, that's the right question, isn't it? Who is Jesus? Isn't that the right question to ask? Instead of making up your mind saying, this can't be the guy, why don't you ask, well, let's see, who are you? Jesus even asked, he said, whom do men say that I am? And they said, oh, some say that you're John the Baptist, some say you're Jeremiah, some say Isaiah, da -da -da -da, Elijah, da -da. And Jesus said, but who do you think I am? Peter is able to figure right there on the spot, says, you're the, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the Pharisees were shocked. Who are you? And then Jesus comes along and he says, I'm someone you've already decided to reject. Verse 25. Jesus saying to them, even the same that I said unto you from the beginning, I have many things to say and to judge of you. But he that sent me is true and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake unto them of the Father. Uh, and then said Jesus unto them, when ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my father hath taught me, I speak these things. Um, and he that sent me is with me, and the father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Who are you? I'm someone that you've already decided to reject. And the truth is, if you had just paid attention, you've heard me say that I am the I am. I want to show you a great thing that's only in your King James Bible. Look there in verse 24, and you'll see it again in verse 28. Verse 24, it says, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am, if you have a proper King James Bible, what kind of lettering is the next word? It's called italics. It's added because it's understood, but what is Jesus actually saying? If you don't believe that I am, go down to verse 28. Then said Jesus unto them, when ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that, here he is again, I am, and that I can do nothing. Now, he's actually saying, I am who I said I am. But that's funny. We get it all the way down at the very last set of verses, verse 58. Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, what's his key words? I am. The truth is, God is here. That's what his name means, Emmanuel, God with us. He says, if you've been paying attention, you would catch it. They're saying, who are you? I'm from above. 
I'm the light and the hope of the world. I'm the son of God. He's my father. I've come in the flesh and I am your Messiah. That's some incredible revelation. All because a woman got forgiven. Let me say very clearly, you're, you getting saved is the catalyst. It's, it's something that will catch somebody else's attention and they're going to start asking questions and it ought to bring you to them through this same thing where they come to realize who Jesus is. And that woman, she may still be there. I mean, I found that picture just of her just resting at his feet. The forgiveness, the new light that she's got is breathtaking. And everybody else is he's saying, haven't you been paying attention to who I am? There's more to God that I want to teach you about, but you can't get it. You can't comprehend me can't comprehend anything that I'm saying. Verse 27, he's kind of quite clear. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. They got their own idea. And then he says probably the worst thing that you can imagine, but he says, so instead of understanding who I am, you're going to kill me. Did you notice what he said? He said, um, uh, verse 28, when ye, then said Jesus unto them, when ye have lifted up the Son of Man. Now, when we say lift up, we kind of usually mean lift up to worship. But that's not what he's referring to. He's saying, when you put me on that cross, he is carefully describing the coming days when he was going to be crucified. When you put me up, then shall you know. That's when you'll understand that I am he and that I do nothing of myself, but as my father had taught me, I speak these things I'm um, sorry, as the Father taught me, I speak these things, and he that sent me is with me. I'm not, I'm not sitting here doing something separate than God. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. And I ponder this, and I ponder this, and I love this. Why does he say that? Is that a brag? I do all those, always those things that please him. That'd be a great testimony. But I want you to understand, what is he saying? I'm doing what is, in, what is required of God for you. I am pleasing him because I know you can't. I do everything that is necessary to save you. But unfortunately, after the beating, the torturing, the whipping, and the crucifying of him, after sealing him in the tomb, then discovering that he's back alive, only then will they understand it. Boy, that's why Acts chapter 2, 3,000 get saved. And in Acts chapter 3, 5,000 get saved. A couple of verses later, it says, um, uh, too numerous to, to number. There was too many people getting saved because they were finally understanding that was our Messiah. So he's just pointing to the future. And I want you to say, where are we going with this? Look at verse 30. Verse 30 is our key. As he spake these words, what does the next phrase say? Many, four words, believed on him. I think that's priceless. How'd that happen? Jesus' powerful words convicted and convinced them. Got to believe on him. That's when many of the people in the crowd got saved. They got born again, got converted just like you are. They were no longer Jews anymore. They were Christ followers. They had been made free just like that woman had been. What does it mean to believe on Jesus? You ever thought about that? What does it mean? If you ask somebody, why don't you believe on Jesus? Even the devils believe in God. 
So when it says they believed on him, what are they talking about? There's all kinds of things I could say, but let's make it real simple. To believe on Jesus means to choose to believe Jesus' words over whatever religion you grew up in. To choose to believe his words over whatever feelings you feel, over whatever pride you're holding on to, and you're just going to trust him with all your heart. That's what it means to believe. And Jesus was, was, was watching, not everybody, but many of them all of a sudden said, I believe. I think he's telling the truth. And that's when the next, uh, uh, well, let me just finish this thought here. Why did he decide to believe him? Remember, three things. Because of the effect of his words, no man ever speaks like Jesus. You can read every book that's ever been written. And this book still speaks right to the core of the human heart. The effect of his words, that's why people have to hear preaching. People have to get the gospel. They've got to see it, read it, hear it, because that's what saves. The preaching of the cross saves them that believe. Why do they choose to believe on him? Because of his character of life. You find no flaw in his life. You'll find flaw in everybody else. You can tick off and say, oh, there's a mess there. There's something wrong with this. But not with Jesus Christ. As he's standing there, who didn't he condemn? That woman caught adultery. And he had every right to because he had no stain of sin on him he was a perfect judge and that character of life that he refused to condemn at that point by the way he is coming back and he will judge that day is coming but his first coming not time to judge and because he was able his character of life to forgive and show mercy and to pardon that's what caught they watched a man who should have condemned forgive his character of life and again, the miracles. Everything he ever did, did he ever get anything out of it? Everybody, as a matter of fact, only at the beginning when all the people were coming, did, did uh, people run and say, come see Jesus, come meet Jesus. After a little while, he told people, don't tell anybody that I just healed you. Don't, don't go running around. And they would all go running around. And it, would, it, it was because Jesus didn't want that attention. He wanted the attention on his preaching. So his selfless miracles... These have all been seen by these people gathered around in there, that woman's life being changed. And they says, that guy's worth following. And that's when Jesus told them, and this is where we're getting to our message. And I'm just about done. I just want to get here. <laughs> that's when he told them to keep believing. Verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if ye continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Now we'll come there. <clears throat> well, let's go on. Let's finish the next verse. He said, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Um, make something real clear. You don't keep believing in order to stay saved. That is not what he's saying. If you continue believing, then are you saved. That's not what he said. <clears throat> if you continue believing, that's when you become a disciple. That's when you come move from beyond salvation. You see, um, let me say this. Um, uh, salvation happens when we decide to believe on what Christ did. End of story. That simple decision activates the full payment available for all our sins. There's no further payment needed. Once I got full payment, why would I need more? Oh, well, I sin more. Yeah, but full payment is for sins past, present, and future. That one Simple childlike act of, I believe, I believe Jesus died for me and was buried and rose again. I believe that he can save me. That one act saves your soul. 
uh, Acts 16.30, the Philippian jailer brought Paul and Silas out and said, well, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And what did Paul say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the legal, emphatic conclusion. And thou shalt be saved. It's a done deal. It's not, well, you're on your way. No, just that one act of faith saves. But we are supposed to keep believing because there's so much to enjoy by believing. These brand new Jewish believers were just scratching the surface. They were just seeing what Jesus would teach. Jesus. He said, I got so much more to teach you. Belief is enough to get saved, but it's not that one act of belief is not enough to become Christ-like. Does that make sense? We don't instantly become zoop, a mature, walking, talking Christian the moment we got saved. Is that true? You understand? So there's more to it. There is, listen, that, the fact that you prayed and you got saved doesn't equal answered prayer. Continuing in the word of God does. That's why we listen to this. We jump down and we go, oh, Jesus didn't just say, this woman's life is now changed, but boy, does she have to grow. And the same with everybody who has believed. Um, in simple words, a one-time repentant belief saves your soul from hell. Boom, done. <coughs> but continuing to believe through all the troubles will save your life. It'll save your marriage. It'll save your sanity. See, when you continue to believe, it'll discipline you. I'm going to talk about this next week. Discipline means it will constrain. It will teach you manners. As you continue in the word, you learn how to talk. You learn how to what to look at, what not to look at. You learn how to think. You learn how to, to be like Christ. Continuing in the word and believing what Jesus says and doing what Jesus says disciplines us, be, makes us like him. It doesn't just set you free. You know what the new Bible say? You know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, you can set something free and then it's not really free. But Jesus said, if you continue in this book, it will make you free. It will actually make you free. So let's do the application. Let's just make this thing really clear. Make a disciple out of you, make you free. Okay, so when we look at verse 31, which is our key verse. Again, let's look at it. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue. You guys have just made the decision to believe on me. Good. Continue now. And if you just continue, you will become my disciples and you'll be my disciples indeed. What does that mean? He means never quit learning this Bible. Keep reading. He's, well, look what he says. In verse 31, he says, if you continue in my word, keep listening to what I teach. He's not here today. I am. And when you're done here, you need to go home. How are you going to continue in his word? Expecting me to preach from his word. And then you reading it every day, continue in his word. That's a practical application. Why do, you, why do you open the Bible? To hear what he says. But wow, wouldn't it be awesome if you wanted to understand what is he saying? What is he meaning? So study, love this book. Meditate. Last week we talked about meditating, memorizing it. Uh, to continue means keep praying through every promise in it. Every time you go through a valley, there ought to be something that drives you to the Bible and says, God, give me a promise that I can hold on to through this valley. 
if I'm going to continue in your word, I want to continue praying your word. A lot of times we pray, God, do this for me. Well, that's not in his word. God, why aren't you doing that? Well, it's not in his word. How about if I just say, Lord, your word says that's the way to pray. Keep doing what God, what Jesus says do. James 1.22 says, but be ye doers of the word. Not ears only. Keep doing it. And keep enduring. Go to Matthew 13. And we'll finish up with just a few more thoughts and we're done. Matthew 13. Matthew 13, verse 3. Jesus is speaking some parables. Matthew 13, 3. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower, a farmer, a planter, went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, we'd say the footpath. And the fowls came and devoured them up. Verse 5. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth. And forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Then we know the rest of it. Some fell among thorns and some fell on good ground. Go down to verse 20. Again, the disciples are going, uh, Lord, what did you mean by all that? What, why are you teaching us farming skills? And he says, I'm not. Verse 20. He that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon, in time, with joy, receives it. They go, I got it. Yet hath he not rooted himself but only dureth, hear that word endure there, but only dureth for a while for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is upset and quits. He's offended. Don't be like Matthew. Where, listen, every one of us, we face the same heat, we go through the same troubles. You need depth to your Christianity. You need depth in the word. You need to not be... Uh, uh, just out in the sun you need to be uh, deep in your own walk with God because most Christians are falling away Jesus predicted it saying in the last days there shall come a great falling away it shouldn't be we should be stronger than ever but we're falling away why because we're not willing to endure we're not in his word we're into books about the Bible we're into YouTube's about the Bible, but we ourselves don't have our own walk with God. Continue means to endure. Continue in my word. Do you find everything in the Bible easy to understand? Do you find everything in the Bible fun? Do you find it all, wow, I like that part. <laughs> there are things you're like, wow, what is that? Okay, keep going. Continue with it. This is the words of eternal life. Endure it. I thought this down. What a wasted life a quitting Christian is. What a wasted life. It'd be like that woman who'd just been forgiven, no record, pardoned, free, and she goes right back to the old sin. Can you imagine? What a wasted opportunity. Does it happen? Yes. I, I, I know people right now who'd say, well, at least he got saved. And I go, praise God. I'm glad that person's saved. But I compare it to the reason, let me say this, just, did you know Christ didn't only die to save you? If he did, he would have been nice for him to just take his own home to heaven, right? But he didn't just die to save you. That was a big deal. 
But it's like looking at a couple who are always fighting, always arguing, always at each other. And the neighbors say, well, at least they're married. <laughs> as long as they're married, definitely don't want two people living together and not being married. I understand that. But you understand when you say, well, at least this, this arguing, fighting, throwing things, family, at least they're married. Doesn't, that's not what they got married for. And a Christian who's still struggling in their sin and still never caring about continuing the word and they're living a wasted life, you look, that's not, that's not the purpose of getting saved. That's only the beginning. You should grow. So next week we're going to grow. Next week is our, we're going to learn about discipleship and about moving on from where we're at because we get content where we're at. I've been praying, God, what do we need for revival? I know what it is. We're ha we have to let the pressures that are on us change us and move us into uncomfortable positions where we are different. We are um, uh, more, more like Christ than what we think we are, where you change us. And these, these people are being told, guys, stay with me. We're going to go way, way farther than just where you're at. Where you're at is not where I want you. Let me stand here and finish with this thought. The invitation that he gave to those people around he says if you will follow me you won't walk in darkness the invitation still stands did you notice and I won't go through it all did you notice how many sins Jesus exposed he exposed the sin of prejudice he said you judge based upon the flesh and what you see on the outside he exposed the fact that those Pharisees were so self-righteous they didn't know they were in sin and he says you're gonna die in your sins and how does he know about my sins no he's, exp he's exposing them He's, he's bringing, like standing for a judge, and the judge reads off all of the evidence and says, guilty, guilty, guilty. And those Pharisees, everything's being just brought out in there. Rah! Jesus exposed all of their sins. He's exposed ours, too. Honestly, the more you read that Bible, the more you feel. <laughs> wow, if it weren't for the grace of God and the mercy of God, how am I saved, man? Jesus already exposed all your sins, and he will judge all sinful people one day. Uh, that's coming. We're in the last days. It's coming. But I'd rather save. Somebody took the word, the, the word gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L, and made it into an acronym and said, God offers sinful people eternal life. Isn't that good? Gospel. God offers sinful people eternal life. That is brilliant. You see, the gospel is we should be judged, but he offers like that woman the ability to walk free and the ability to not have to sin anymore not that you don't sin anymore but at least don't sin that sin anymore you can walk away from adultery you can walk away from that thing would you be saved isn't that something you'd want if you're not born again isn't that something that you'd stay like i'm trusting jesus i'm believing i'm choosing to believe his words over my religion and over my feelings and over my pride choose to believe that and then choose to follow him see a lot of people like to get a quick prayer okay I'll pray and I'll just get on my life no 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 <laughs> you're missing the whole point of getting saved you got a whole new life father we bow before you we ask you God to help us to continue in your word and I speak into the choir there are people who are faithful here and I, I appreciate that but somebody's listening somebody's here and struggling with their walk and they're struggling with their commitment they're struggling with 
where they can just go another step. And I understand that. Every one of us have been there. I'm just glad that you invite us to not just believe, but to follow. Believing, oh boy, it was a great day. I remember that day. It was wonderful. 41 years ago, it really was the best day of my life. I didn't understand anything that was happening, but I knew something happened, and it blessed me, Lord, and it, and it started me. But I'm supposed to continue. I'm supposed to continue to grow. It, I'm supposed to have a continual feast, not just a once-off thing and then go back to the old ways and have a wasted life. So, Lord, I pray that everyone in this room, everyone hearing my voice, would look at their life and say, is this all there is? Was there not more? And the more is not just a once-off event. It's a life lived, following, pursuing, seeking to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. So help us to continue in your word. Help us to continue like we've never dug in before. Help us to get into this book. We don't have much time left, and our world needs some Christians who are on fire and who open their mouth and have no embarrassment, no shame. Lord, we don't walk in darkness anymore. Help us to walk in the light. In Jesus' name, amen.